Guess what? We are starting a new chapter. Can you believe it? Chapter 5 of the letter to the Ephesians. If Stephanie was in here, I'd ask her, when did we start this? And she'd look at me and tell me some obnoxious number that she made up. Okay, boys, voices from the building. That's not bad. Five chapters in three years. Not so bad, eh? You know what that means, right? I'm picking up speed. Chapter five. The uh, first seven verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any Impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, we come now to hear your word, to be taught by you. Father, I I know in myself and others within this congregation that some of these things are um, perhaps as steel wool. But yet, Father, as it moves some of the corrosion off of us, we will shine brighter and brighter. Help us. Help us, Father, to reflect you, even as the Apostle says, be imitators of God. So I ask you, Lord, to help us to do this, to walk in a manner worthy, to walk in the character and the nature of the most sovereign. To you, my King. Amen. If you take the heart of Christianity, I guess the heart of the Christian life, whether you're dealing with unbelievers or whether you're dealing with believers. Love is the ultimate subject. Okay? Verse 2 there, you see it. Walk in love. And when you see the word walk there, you know what he's saying. Let this be your daily habit. This will be your character. This will be the way that you carry yourself. Okay? I mean, if I look at that verse 2, I look at it in simplicity and say, this is direct definition on how we are to live as Christians. 
I mean, remember I shared with you in chapter 4, verse 1, we were beginning the practical. I beseech you, brethren. Why? Walk worthy. I, a prisoner, walk worthy. And God is teaching us over and over and over (laughs) the same lesson throughout this book. You know what that means? If I wanted to use a cartoon illustration, we are thick and lumpy. Okay? Or I could say, you know, there, there are times we learn this, and then how quickly we learn it is even faster, how quickly we forget it. It's the same lesson. God is calling Kassarok Baptist Church to focus on this great truth. Does our life right now show righteousness? Does it show the character of God? Because let me tell you something. If it does not, there's a good possibility you're not saved. Okay? The last few weeks we've seen this, and yet here we come back to the heart of this text is are we walking in love the Lord is telling us something that is very very serious listen now we've got some people missing but I want to ask you a question even at the size we are did you realize that we can hide people who have no relationship To God. As small as we are. That's serious. That is very, very serious. And the reason that I say that is not to convict or to hurt somebody's feelings, but we have... We sometimes we fall into the, well, I've read my Bible. I've said a prayer. I remember when I was baptized. I remember walking an aisle. And I remember, you know, I did this. And, you know, I've done this. I've done the things that's asked. And when we had to give extra money to help with a generator in Myanmar, I gave extra money. So I'm saved. Okay, let me ask you a question. Are you an imitator of God? Now, all of a sudden, it kind of clears out a lot of the uh, bushes. See, do you know emphatically that you have a living relationship with the living God? See, there are many people that are meeting today that are very religious. You know what? There are some meeting today who have an exceedingly high standard of morality. But the truth of the matter is, it's all superficial if you do not know the Lord. I know those people who have made a decision. I know those people who have walked an aisle. I know those people who have said a prayer. But they have no living evidence to verify salvation. They can uh, 
speak Christianese. But their nature and their character is the same. That is the heart of this book. I shared with some of you when we first started this thing that this book would have a uh, scouring work in this church. And people said, well, you know, we can't afford that. No, perhaps we were overdue for it. Verse 6 says, let no one deceive you. Okay. Did you understand that there are some who want to deceive you? Because they want to sell to you what I would call a counterfeit kind of love. The world's love, you see there in verses 3 and 4, immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. None of that is fitting with thanks. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Put it off. It's not legit. A true Christians are not characterized by the counterfeit. What I mean, counterfeit love. They are characterized by real love. Sacrificial love. Listen, First John chapter 4. God is love. And we all say, Amen. I remember saying that in the 60s and 70s. As I tried to convince this young ladies, I love you. Let me show you how much. But that was the counterfeit love. God is love. And he who loves knows God. First John 4. If you don't love, you don't know God. Did you know that? And if you know what love is, then you know it is not me loving me. It is me loving those that are in my life, and I do it sacrificially. And you know what? If you don't love, you don't know God, and I don't care... What you claim. Now, I've shared with you that I get into trouble with that one. But you know what? It's still truth. It's still truth. If your life isn't characterized by love, you don't know God. That's really simple if you think about it. But people, oh, I can't believe you'd say that. Why not? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Does that house love? If you don't love your brother, how does the love of God dwell in you? First John said. And I mean, in essence... That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us here in verse 2 when he says, Walk in love. Why? Show me your relationship with God. And I do that by walking in love. 
Okay, if there is no love in your life, then I guarantee you what you are showing is the counterfeit stuff of the world. You're not in the kingdom no matter what you think. If your love is that that looks just like the world, guess what? I can tell you what kingdom you're not in. Okay, now I want to look at this phrase here. This is sort of a prelude to what we're getting into in this section, the walk in love. But he makes this statement that is, uh, it's uh, pretty impressive if you think about it. Some of your translations might say, be followers of God. Okay. This translation, New American Standard, says, be imitators of God. The word there, imitator or follower, whatever you want to, is the essence of the Greek word that you and I get the word mimic from. So you could literally read that verse or that phrase right there, be mimics of God. Now, when you think about that, I want you to think about this for a second. The word is not referring to uh, copying a general pattern. Okay? But what the word means is that it copies specific characteristics. Okay? Be imitators. Mimic Certain characteristics. Certain characteristics of what? Of God. The whole of the Christian life can be summed up in that statement. French philosophers used to say, I would be inclined to believe in your Redeemer if you would show me a redeemed life. You claim, we use the word Christian. Okay? That originally came in the book of Acts and it was a derogatory word. Okay, and it literally means little Christ. All right? You're going to be hard-pressed in this day and age to find little Christ. Okay? And the regular congregations. Be mimics of God. Reproduce in you everything that is true of God. Wow. Paul, what was you thinking? But you know what? You read that and you think, wow, man, that's, that's a tad bit tough to swallow. But if it goes all the way back to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Think about Peter. He was not having a bad day. Because you know that when he writes some of this stuff, he had to be having a bad day. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also, in all of your behavior. Because it is written, 
You shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Paul, he could sit and write and say, be followers of me. Why? How can you say that? For I am a follower of God. How would you like to do that? Anybody want to stand in that line right now? Be followers of me, for I am a follower of God. I want to stand before God and say, Father, these are followers of me, for I was a follower of you. Hmm. Would you hear, well done, true and faithful servant? Or would you hear, left that gate open? I think about the Apostle Paul who would gaze and kind of summarize what I read out of 2 Corinthians 3. Gaze into the glory of the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to change you into His image. That is the conclusion that I shared with you out of 2 Corinthians 3. We behold as in a mirror. Why? Because I've been gazing at the glory of the Lord. Why? Because, see, in the past, only Moses could do that. But now in this new covenant, guess what? If you're a child of God, you do that. And as you and I gaze into the glory of the Lord, we behold as in a mirror that glory. From image to image, from glory to glory, as unto the Lord, His Spirit. I guess when I stumbled upon that text years ago, I thought, you know, that is the ultimate goal of a Christian is to gaze into the glory of God through his holy scripture so that I can be transformed from glory to glory as unto the Lord. And sometime I can be as faithful as the Apostle Paul and say, follow me. For I am a follower of God. I am an imitator of God. First John chapter 3. One day we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. See that's the Christ life. That, 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 is, that is what it is. Let me behold his glory and be so overwhelmed by it that it overwhelms me in such a way that it can form me into the image of his son. The Christ life is to be imitators of God. That's what God wants from us. He wants each and every one of us to reflect the Father. Behold, as in a mirror. When people see us, they see our Father. I've seen this in, uh, in my son's life, my youngest. I had a picture of me back in my hippie days. And I had a flannel shirt on and jeans. I had a bandana around my head. 
And, and uh, I was in an apartment that I lived in. And was it Josh's girlfriend? I don't remember who it was. But it was Josh, he looked at it and he says, where was I when this happened? <laughs> and I said, uh, it ain't happened yet, Josh. <laughs> okay. But now we are to reflect the Lord. Each and every one of us. Now listen. God wants us to reflect the Father. Got it? Very simple, very easy. So, the more I know God, the more you know what you are to be. And I mean, if you look at the things that we've been looking at lately, tell me which of those is not the characteristic of God. See how that works? You know what they call that? Theology. You will live your life according to the size of your God. The primary pursuit of any believer, oh, well, it should be the primary pursuit of every believer, is to know God. Paul himself said, that I may know him in the power of his sufferings. If you are to be like him, we must know what God is like, right? But we've made it easier. We'll make God into what we like, and therefore there I am. But that's not true. You see that today in the churches. We must study God's character. Every time I look at this book, every time I'm reading this book, I don't care what part of this book I'm reading, I'm never reading it to see what I am supposed to do. Never do. Okay? I'm always reading it to see God. I remember years ago, it's been years ago, I had somebody tell me that, you know, the book of Esther, God's never mentioned. And he just made that statement. is off the cuff. I don't remember what he, we were in deal with. And I was like, well, that seems kind of... I mean, this is his book. So, me being the inquisitive one that I am, I read Esther. God's not mentioned. It's like, wow. I better read it again. You know how people can be. So I read it again. I think I read it about four or five times, actually. But you know what? Every time I read it, I saw more of the nature of God, and yet he was never mentioned. That's fascinating if you think about it. Truly fascinating. Why we study and read the Bible? Listen, I'd give anything if people just read it. Sometimes studying can get you into trouble. Because you got this brilliant idea and you decide to figure out how the Bible actually validates your idea. I would prefer that people would just read it. Just read it. It's an interesting concept. You know, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelations, is the revealing of God. It's sort of like, ta-da! Somebody said, the Bible is God's self-disclosure. 
Hmm. Be holy, for I am holy. Now, I always know that the word holy means I'm set apart. Set apart. I mean, look at what we read today. Okay? Out of the second law, Deuteronomy. Okay? We've read this from Genesis up through Deuteronomy right now. That God has distinctions for His people. All right? goes back to Leviticus 11.45. Be holy, for I am holy. So, when I think about that, this be separated from this place, be distinct from this place, this is not new. God himself said, you are my people, and I am your God. Listen, whether in the beginning or to this day, be holy, for I am holy, it's all the same. Be imitators of God is what? Be holy, for I am holy. I want you to be different than the world. What the world pursues... Don't worry about it. I don't want you to worry about that stuff. Okay, now, I understand it's easy for me to sit up here and say that. Okay? I want you to be imitators of God. Amen. Let's go eat. Okay? It's a little harder to do. And if you're really honest with yourself, with a whole lot of, doesn't take a lot of coercion. I don't have to set you down and get into a deep theological debate. It, it doesn't take the proverbial rocket science to say, I can't do this in my own strength. Okay? Sermon on the Mount is the, I guess I would call the leading edge of what this is. You have to start being like God when you realize you cannot be like God. Okay? You know what they call that? Humility. I am called to be as God. Be like God. And yet, you know what? I know people right now who are knocking themselves out to try to achieve it. But when you realize what the standard is, you start seeing more and more of who God is, the more you realize that this is flat out impossible for me, then you've stepped into humility. That's when you start with a broken spirit. That's when you are a beggar in spirit. That's when you are poor in spirit. You are mourning over your sins. You know what? God bless you guys, but most of us mourn over other people's sins. We do not mourn over our sins. Because, see, if you mourn over your sins 
How much pride can you have? See what I mean? And once I am mourning over my sins, then I come into meekness and I'm overwhelmed by the sense of my sins. I shared with you guys, I think it was last week, that uh, to enhance your walk, you need to go to the garden. You can sit here and say, okay, well, I've studied this book, this book, this book, this book. I've been through this course, through this series. I've done this. I've done that. I've prayed this prayer. I've prayed for 24 hours. I've done these things. I've done these things. But until you go to the garden as Jesus did. See, Jesus knew what the plan was. You know what that means? He knew what the Bible said. He was a man of prayer. And the plan was set before him, and it was dealing with what? Sin. And he wanted plan B. But he said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He wrestled with sin in a very intimate way in the Garden of Gethsemane. The tragedy is it wasn't his sin, it was yours and mine. We should go to the Garden as believers and wrestle with our sin so that we can come out in meekness and in humility so that we will move to the place where we hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, on one hand, we are to be like God. On the other hand, you realize you can't. Right? You know what they call that? A paradox. The point is, for us to be like God, knowing that we cannot be like God, you humble thyself inside of your own sin and meekness, and you realize that there has to be some power outside of you. And then I will bring your attention back to a prayer that we prayed before we moved into this section on the practical that the Apostle Paul said that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Chapter 3, verse 16. Strengthened with power. Because you know what? I'm a sinner. I am wretched. I am vile. I cannot be like God. And God says we must be like him. So someone must do this because I do not have the capabilities, yet I have the information that tells me I should. Because I know that the Holy Spirit will do what I cannot do. The result of being strengthened with power in the inner man to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within him. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Why? Because in verse 19 at the end of it right there it says, you would be filled with the fullness of God. So when he asks you to be an imitator of God in chapter 5, he's already told you how to. In order as, in order that, in order that, that you may be filled. You know what that is? It's a purpose clause. This is its conclusion. When you are strengthened in the inner man, guess what? The result is filled with the fullness of God. And he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine by the power that works within you. So, this can be done. You and I can be filled with the fullness of God. We can be filled with the character of God. But you cannot do it on your own. You must be strengthened with His might. So, when the Spirit works, it doesn't matter if it's a paradox. It's more amazing grace. And it begins. So, are you broken over your sin? Be careful before you answer that. Most people are broken over other people's sins. It's kind of a weird thing if you think about it. But am I broken over my sin? Because if you are, then you'll be humble. You'll be meek. And at that time, you will hunger and thirst for the kingdom and righteousness and be right standing with God. But you've got to go to the garden. You've got to sit there at that tree and weep. Great tears of anguish mingled with blood over your sin. In that brokenness, you will depend on the work of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I see people who, I'm on a reading schedule. You know, I'm in the process of memorizing a book. I'm in the, I got a prayer journal that I journal in prayer. I do all of these things. The problem is, have you looked in the mirror at your sin? Because when your sin crushes you, then you realize you bring nothing to this deal. And then you will get to the place where you depend on the work of Christ. To do what you cannot do. And at that time, you understand what it means to mimic God. Knowing that God's work is dependent on the spirit of the living God. If I'm going to do God's work, it ain't because I came up with some slick idea. It's because I have bowed to the authority of the Holy Scriptures 
in the power of his spirit, realizing that, Father, I have nothing. This, listen, this is always happening in real Christians. It's always going on. Moving to make the, this real is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's conforming us into Christ, Romans 8. Now, this thought that you see here, therefore be imitators of God, it can go both ways. Remember, I told you in chapter 4, verse 1, begins the phasing of practical. And it goes through the last three chapters, the last of the books, last three chapters. This is what being an imitator of God looks like. This is what the walk, our daily life, looks like. And it's all based on what? The first three chapters. So these first three chapters I read, and now here's my practice. I've seen what God has done. Therefore, we walk worthy of what he's done. Chapter 4. Remember? I walk in humility. When I look at my sins, <laughs> I have a lot of room for pride, don't I? Because I walk in humility, then I will walk in unity. Because I walk in unity, I will look like God and the world be amazed. But then I realize that I walk different, not of this world. Because this world does not walk in unity, and this world does not walk in humility. Chapter 5 then says, okay, now that you've got all this, walk in love. Verse 8 says, you need to have a life walk. Verse 15 says, you walk in wisdom. Verse 18 says, I walk in the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, I walk in warfare. See how it works? As we walk, we have a specificness in our walk. See, and yet the heart of all of this is what? Be imitators of God. See, God humbled himself in the person of Christ. Remember? Took on the veil of humanity. Died. A death on a cross. Okay? So what? We're going to be imitators of Christ. We should walk humble. God shows us the Trinity and that they are one. There's no division whatsoever. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet we are to be one. God is different than this world. So we are to what? Be set apart. God is love. Therefore we are to to love. God is light. Therefore we are to be on high beam. God is wise. We are to walk in his wisdom. 
God has victory over Satan. And we must have that victory too. All right. Have you ever just stopped? I've been reading this book every day for, they say it's been a bunch of years, but I think it's only been a little bit. But I read it every day. Have you ever thought of everything that we have in Christ? I mean, you know, I listen to the uh, the stuff that is on the news and how terrible everything is and everybody's lost all their money and people are dying and you listen to it and it just, it's chaos. But you know what? I made a list that I just got out of these first three chapters. Okay? Do you realize as a child of God, you have a new standing before God? As a Christian, you're truly a Christian. Do you realize you have a new life? Do you realize you have new righteousness? You are clothed in His righteousness. Do you realize you have a new father? Do you realize you have a new inheritance? Do you realize you have a new citizenship? Do you realize you have a new master? Do you realize you have new freedom? Do you know you have new victory? Do you know that you have a new security? Do you know you have a new peace? Do you have a new unity? Do you have a new fellowship? Do you have a new joy? A new spirit? Do you have new power? Do you have new abilities? Do you have a new calling? Do you have a new love? Now, I'll tell you what, considering this book is... Uh, Six chapters. You've got a serious bunch of new stuff. And it is all ours in Christ. And this whole book, everywhere you look, there is love. It's all undergirded by love. See, by love, He predestined us to be children of the Most High God. By love, He shows us mercy, His great love. By love, we know the love of Christ that passes understanding. See, our position is based on God's love. This being true, chapter 5 says, walk in love. You know, I always laugh because in, in Galatians chapter 5, it always talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And you got love and joy. And I remember there were a, a class I went through years ago. And then it, and it says, okay, you're going to work on love, and then you're going to have to work on joy, and you're going to have to work on gentleness, and you're going to have to work on, and you go down the list. And I thought, wow, man, that's kind of crazy. I don't see how that works. But when I look back at the text now, 
the text has been misconstrued. There are not gifts, plural. It says gift of the Spirit is love. And once that's nailed down, joy, peace, long-suffering, all the rest of it just happens. So chapter 5 says walk in love. Remember what we looked at? Some of you were here back in 1 Corinthians, end of chapter 13. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. See, that's Christianity. God is love. We must walk in love. And that is what you have in this text when it says there is a plea, there is a pattern, there is a perversion, and there is a punishment. But walk in love. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you've given your children. Lord, strange times, but yet, Father, you have graced us with the privilege of coming together, uh, rejoicing in the amazing things that you do. So, Father, help us. Help us to stand with you. Father, help us to understand that our security is from you. Father, help us to understand that the plans are from you. And that, Father, that you are doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine in each and every one of us. But let us evaluate ourselves in our complacency that we may rejoice in the King of kings and Lord of lords. To you, my Savior. Amen.